0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to this another fine episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is Magic Mike Worthley. Hello again. Welcome back. Now, there's some some interesting things that have come up in just the past couple of days, and so we're gonna talk about those, and then later on at the end of the episode, we're going to be joined by an interesting person, a fellow named Chavs, who is the creator of uh, some mechanical wristwatches and he's going to talk to us about what it's like to be a mechanical watchmaker a swiss mechanical watchmaker in an apple watch world so i'm looking very forward much forward to that i'm looking forward to that and we will hope that you make it to the end of the episode with us for that mike yes the one of the big pieces of news was all about an ios update
0: yeah, this week Apple has released updates to nearly everything except High Sierra, but the big ticket item is the iOS 11.4
1: update. What's in 11.4? What makes it such a big update for a point release?
0: It, the biggest update to this is, I'm going to say, is going to be AirPlay 2 and with a secondary release of Messages in iCloud. The AirPlay 2 is the advancement of Apple's AirPlay technology, and really what it's allowing people to do on iPhones and iPads and iOS devices in general is it's allowing you to use AirPlay to multiple speakers at the same time. So instead of before, where you were limited to, you know, one HomePod or you're limited to one Sonos One speaker or something like that, now if you have a whole house full of devices that are compatible with AirPlay 2, then you can play to all of them at the same time. Wild. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool technology. On the Mac side, we've had it in iTunes for a while, since very nearly the dawn of the technology. And right now, the original
1: name is escaping well, me. So there was AirTunes before AirPlay.
0: AirTunes, thank you. It just, I just you had a brain lock for the minute there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Um, this, is, this is a nice addition for iOS. Keep in mind that AirPlay 2 is not on the Mac as of yet, so there's still that kind of passing nods at synchronization between different types of outputs on iTunes, whereas AirPlay 2 expressly looks for that synchronization based on the performance of the connected device. So there's give and takes in both. It'll be interesting to see if Apple does anything with AirPlay 2 on the Mac. It's not in the current macOS betas. Keep in mind, I'm saying betas because there's, at present, we're on a beta cycle for... Not only are we on the fifth beta of version 10.13.5, but we also are on the first version of 10.13.6 without a 10.13.5 release. So it's kind of uncharted territory there, but regardless, Airplay 2 is not in either of them. So it's going to have to wait for 10.14, which is possibly
1: WWDC next week. Or 13.7, we don't know. Numbering.
0: We, yeah, I mean, it stands to reason, given history, that we're gonna see ten point fourteen, but Apple might throw us a fast one and decide to continue high Sierra for a little while longer. Who knows? We'll see.
1: It could be. Now, there there are a whole bunch of different weird situations that happen when you've got AirPlay two, and and so you can do AirPlay two as simply two HomePods streaming the same piece of music, and then you can command them independently by Siri, right? Mm-hmm. But you've you've also got them controllable from an Apple TV and and from your iPhone. So can you talk a little bit about what happens with, say, an Apple TV? Does something also happen with the TV speakers because they're right there and connected to that Apple TV as well?
0: Well, part of AirPlay 2 is AirPlay 2 reporting back to the controlling unit exactly what the delay is between signal receipt and and transmission of that to the user. So Apple knows what the Apple TV is going to have, and you can use an Apple TV fourth or fifth generation as an AirPlay 2 target. So, if you've got speakers hooked up to your Apple TVs for your stereo system, use those to fill your house with music.
1: Now, I have to ask because one of the things that Neil used to talk a lot about was AirPlay Two showing up in the the Home app, the Apple HomeKit controller. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? What are what are speakers and TVs and such doing there? Because I noticed when I updated my Apple TV that it asked me where within the rooms that I've set up in HomeKit does this Apple TV reside?
0: AirPlay 2, I, I think we're going to see more with that going forward. At present, you can't use a speaker set as a part of a scene. So you can't say, when I come home, start playing my music or anything like that. I think that's. I think we're looking at the foundation of something bigger going forward, but we don't have that just yet. So it, it's the AirPlay 2 is in HomeKit it, it, right now. It doesn't technically need to be, but obviously there's there's something coming for that going forward.
1: Yeah, and it's weird because when I use the HomeKit control for Apple TV within HomeKit, basically it just uses it as a play pause control.
0: Right, and that's yeah. it right now.
1: And, of course, I'm sure I'm freaking out other family members because I've just played started playing something on Apple TV. <laughs> and no one's entirely sure what because I'm on a whole other level of the house.
0: That follows, that follows. It's Apple does this a lot, though. They will release a technology and it will be a foundation to something later. On the macro scale, they've done they did that with the App Store, and they did that. They do that a lot, and they've done that a lot over history where it's a little hard when the product is released to see – what's coming down 4 years down the pike but apple has a pretty good vision on that and you can see it looking back but you can't necessarily see it looking forward so this is actually a topic of great interest to me and like i said i think we're going to hear more about it at wwdc but for sure there's going to be expansion on this because otherwise if you can't allow it to work in scenes and you can't use it to the full extent with everything else in homekit why put it in homekit why put it in the home map at all
1: uh, things unknown we can suspect but we don't know yet so i have i have more questions Okay. Part of this release was support for ClassKit, which is a framework for making developers have their apps work with uh Apple's school-based software, the schoolwork app, things like that. Mm-hmm. And Apple wants for teachers to be able to request assignments from students including links that can open up specific parts of another application to be used to complete the task. So that's kind of cool. And I think that falls under the the heading that you just said about Apple charting out a year's long path. Yep. And the, the difficulty is that obviously that relies on third-party app developers to get on board with it. And I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that they do because you end up with a very deep system of, of not just schoolwork but schoolwork relying on these other things. And, and it sort of becomes the whole ecosystem is the application. Right Now, you mentioned Messages in iCloud, and that's something we've already had listener email on, if you can believe it.
0: I, I'm not surprised. Messages in iCloud, like AirPlay 2, was promised a very long time ago. We, uh, we're going to be publishing something in the next couple of days about how really to get it going because it's not quite that simple. It's not a a front-facing toggle for users it's, to turn it's on. It's
1: placed – so this is one of the things that Apple's always had difficulty with. You may remember back at the dawn of time in iPhone OS 1.0 where applications were apps, but they had their settings buried within general settings. And so third-party developers would shoehorn their settings within the general part of the settings app. And, and of mm-hmm. course – Developers decided to protest and just put their settings within their own applications, and eventually Apple got on board with that. Here, if I'm not mistaken, the, the settings for turning on messages in iCloud is not in settings messages, as you might expect, but is instead in iCloud settings, where you have to go through uh, what settings, iCloud, and then the settings for this device. Forgive me. No problem. I thought I'd muted everything. It happens to the best of us, in the listeners. I apologize. Yes, it does. So yeah, you have to go to your no Apple ID settings and then tap on iCloud, and then it loads and you get the list of everything, including photos in iCloud, music in iCloud, backup in iCloud, and among those is messages in iCloud. And you turn it on there. Now, one of the questions that that I've had from listeners is what does this actually mean in terms of the changes of how things are stored? Because previously, if you were backing things up, weren't your messages already backed up in iCloud?
0: If you're backing up, they were in iCloud, but not necessarily in an accessible form. The the backups, this is kind of a funny situation, because people are saying that messages in iCloud are going to make their messages less secure. But that's not the case at all. Apple doesn't still doesn't have access to to messages that are stored through messages in iCloud. But if they're like, if they're served a warrant for your data, they do have them on iCloud backups of your messages. So it's kind of, there's a distinction here and it's kind of an unfortunately named. So
1: if served a warrant feature, Apple previously had access to any messages that were stored as a part of your iCloud backup. And if right. serves a warrant, they still have access to that. But, right. but but it's no less secure than it was yesterday.
0: Right. It, it's the same amount of security as it was yesterday. It it's messages in iCloud data is not explicitly retained by Apple. It, it's it's kind of a it's the 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 messages are stored on your device and synchronized through the iCloud without stop without being in rest on any of Apple's servers. They're in transit through Apple servers, but not retained on the Apple servers, unless you explicitly tell your phone to back up your, your phone in iCloud. Right. It, it, it's all very confusing, but it's an important distinction So to
1: make. here is a question. We have mm-hmm. iCloud.com, and iCloud.com yes. lets me have access to pretty much every resource that I have in iCloud. Right. Are we going to see messages as part of a web client from iCloud.com? That's
0: a good question. I, I kind of hope not. It's. I think that Messages is a big attraction to the Apple ecosystem on device, and I'm not sure that web access pushes that forward. I, I think that the web access will dilute that more than anything else, and I, I don't think that it's a good idea for Apple. From a user perspective, it's probably a better idea, but I'll, I'll tell you the honest truth. I haven't really given it that much thought. The Apple's devices are sticky enough in your life that you have your iPhone with you, you have your Mac with you, so why would you need to access it on the web if you don't have your Apple device? If you, if you well, have your Apple allow device. Allow me you to,
1: have- to make some posits, okay? Let me put out some sure. theories there really quickly. One of them is that there are people who are not all in on Apple. You know, y- right. you and I, we are using MacBooks or MacBook Pros. We're using iOS mm-hmm. devices. We're pretty much all in. There are people who have an iPhone and a Windows 10 device, like a Surface or a laptop. There okay. are people who have a Mac and have an Android phone. Now, you okay. can ask why on earth that might be, but but there are such people. And there sure. are people who have had an iPhone and decided to see what Android is like and gone through immense amount of difficulty In converting (laughs) their texts back to – in deprovisioning, basically deprovisioning iMessage from their numbers so that they can receive SMSs properly from other people who have iPhones. And so if you think back, one of the things that Steve Jobs said when he was introducing FaceTime was that they were going to make FaceTime available as an open source protocol and have it work on Android. He didn't explicitly say Android make it available for other platforms, let's say.
0: And somewhere along the line, they changed the goal well, on that. They, my, they, I don't. They they had the resources to do it. My understanding
1: not it. was that early on, there were several lawsuits over how FaceTime worked. People thought they were Apple was infringing on their their intellectual property for how to well, do VoIP. There still are. There still are Voipal is just filed another one. That was the reason that it didn't make it out there. That's mm-hmm. that's not confirmed. That was the suspicion at the time.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, that's, that's speculation, but, we, I mean, it's a podcast. We do that a lot <laughs> Hey, anyway. welcome to the
1: neighborhood. So, yeah. you know, the, the – and, and we have seen other attempts to make iMessages work across Android. You know, we, we had that project that was put out a year ago where – or six months ago where you could run a shim as an accessibility shim on your Mac that would then allow mm-hmm. you to broadcast that as a server and rebroadcast them to an Android phone
2: yeah the right. bridge, and I ran that
1: for a while. It totally okay. worked. It was a little clunky at the client side on on the Android phone because i I found that it wanted to if I would close the message just so that i hadn 't less clutter, it would keep reintroducing them and it made it very easy for me to miss tap and and send messages to groups that i hadn 't intended to send to, for example. but those were details right the The, the beauty of it was that it actually functioned. it was kind of nice, and it shows that it 's possible you know if Apple if they wanted to, could certainly do this. Does it make sense for them to? Well, Um, in terms – Yes, but, you know, you might have said that they should never have put iTunes on PCs, for that matter. Different times, different cases. It's a different argument. Yeah, it's a different – But what do you do to draw people in?
0: Well, I I think this is it. I I think that if Apple had to deal with things like Animoji and things like that on other platforms, I don't think they're that interested in that. I I think there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, we're kind of delving really far off the original subject, but (laughs) – I, I think there are compelling reasons for them not to from a corporate standpoint. And I think the compelling reason for them to do so is user convenience. I mean, but that same user convenience I mean, is put, your iPhone. put
1: out something else, right? The, the Messages App Store has been kind of a dud. Agree or disagree?
0: Mm-hmm. It, oh, okay. yeah. There's no question.
1: They introduced Apple Pay Cash, which allowed you to go ahead and send personal personal payments through Messages, right? Now, well, I, I would submit that that has also been kind of a dud and that one of the ways to make it catch would be to make messages cross-platform and make Apple Pay Cash cross-platform.
0: I think Apple Pay as a whole would have to come over to Android first. I, I don't see them doing that unless they could somehow guarantee the safety of Apple Pay on Android. I, I, I don't think that there's a huge market for Apple Pay Cash. I think Apple acknowledges it, but I think that they're happy to take what they make I, I think
1: it. there are a couple of businesses here you could look at and say, what happens if Apple killed those? And one of them is WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger for that matter. And the other is mm-hmm. PayPal. And you know, if you th- put this instead of the perspective of saying these are tiny little features within Apple, and say, what if they were their own separate businesses? What would you do? That's sort of the the alternate universe from what Apple could do with well,
0: them. Sure. Yeah, you know, people have been talking about an Apple driven social media network for a ping. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ping. It, that was not executed well from the get go, and not adopted well by customers. But on the other hand, had Ping been rolled out at the same at the same time as Apple Music, I think that would have been a different situation. Had Ping been
1: rolled out as its there own were, application, not shoehorned in anything else, and the same could be said or, for or the the social features within Apple Music.
0: Sure. So, in any event, let's get back to the topic at hand because time is short. Because you have oh, a yeah. great interview.
1: That's really the the best parts of the iOS eleven point four update.
0: Yep, that that's the best parts of all of the updates that we've seen this week. The the watchOS update is very minor. The TVOS update brings AirPlay 2 with it and very little else. And we have yet to see the macOS update as of 11:42 in the morning on Thursday. This may change in the next 2 hours, mind you. We still have not seen the macOS update. And but the pay, the testing we've already done on it, there's not that mu- there's almost nothing in the way of features. It's all bug fixes.
1: And good for that. I need to let our listeners know, if you haven't joined Stitcher Premium yet, now's the perfect time. Stitcher Premium gets you completely ad-free episodes of hundreds of shows like Comedy Bang Bang, WTF with Mark Marone, and How Did This Get Made? You also get 21,000 hours of exclusive content. New exclusive originals like Marvel's Wolverine and Issa Rae's Fruit are launching every week for Stitcher Premium members. If you love podcasts, you are missing out. When you listen to ad-free episodes in Stitcher Premium, your favorite podcasters get paid. Help support your favorite shows and join Stitcher Premium today. For a free month of listening, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code APPLE. Now, we we talked a lot in previous episodes about the iPhone X and its success in the market. And Stephen wrote an, an article on our site here talking about the next cycle of iPhones that He positions this as going to be crucial for Apple. uh, There's an analyst note that was written by Daniel Ives of GBH Insights that says basically the Wall Street is now starting to fully appreciate the massive iPhone upgrade opportunity on the horizon for the next 12 to 18 months with three new smartphones slated for release. And he's projecting 350 million phones as the window of opportunity. And if you think about it, 350 million phones is more or less $250 in revenue for Apple.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. And that that's not even being particularly aggressive about it and that time scales between 12 and 18 right. months. That is an amazing yet in 12 months. It's slightly less amazing in 18, but it's still a, it's well, still and an this improvement.
1: is Going by the current average selling price of iPhones, this is not necessarily mm-hmm. based on what could happen with new iPhone pricing.
0: Sure. It, it's the numbers are caveats. are what's impressive. They're expecting 350 million individual iPhone sales. That's ridiculous. That's more in line with the big breakthroughs that Apple had with the first Plus size phones, with the with the six Plus. So this is this if true, if accurate, this is a good get. But the analysts have been talking about a super cycle for a long time, and I think that a lot of their thinking on that is based on a two year upgrade cycle forced by subsidized phones.
1: We still kind of have that. We don't. We've, we don't have the subsidies in the way that they were years ago in the U.S. But what we do have now is you still pay per month, and you pay per month until the phone is paid off, which coincidentally comes out at about magically a two-year amount, right? So, yeah. so we sort of have that same thing. And as soon as yours is paid off, they start throwing you upgrade offers, right?
0: Well, they, they start throwing you upgrade offers at after the end of the first year. And things like the Apple upgrade program, where you're paying monthly and you can refresh your phone at one year, turning in your old device, those are starting to pro- proliferate more and more and more as the time goes on. But you're right. I mean, I personally, I have two phones, one for work, one for my own personal phone. And I cycle through them once a year on a two-year cycle anyway. So my old devices get are, are a cascading upgrade cycle down further in the family. So that works out well for my particular use case. If, if you don't need two phones, that's less of a practical use case if you want to have a modern device. so
1: Yeah, I'm still running on the iPhone 6. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to something big, new being introduced so that I might get last year's model at a good price.
0: Yeah, the big, the big deal about Steven's report is that there is more evidence, as suggested by Tim Cook, in this year's guidance and this year's surprise reports about the iPhone 10 success mm-hmm. that suggests that if Apple reduces the price just a little bit on some of those new features that are in the iPhone 10 and releases them in other models, that users are going to say, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I don't personally like emoji. I don't really care for them at all.
1: You are mistaken. But
0: I can see where it's going to sell phones. emoji
1: karaoke is still fun. Okay. But... It's just I not my you. thing. So but, you know, I, I, we're still getting listeners complaining about things like Touch ID. Yeah, and and I have to tell you, if if you're looking for Touch ID to make a big comeback, you are probably mistaken.
0: Yeah, I, I think that as time wears on, we're going to see that in fewer and fewer and fewer devices. I I, I don't know when exactly it's going to make it to the Mac. I I don't know when exactly it's going to make it all the way down the product line. But if Apple has any active devices that it is currently manufacturing with Touch ID in four years, I'd be very,
1: very surprised. Which leads us to thinking what about the SE2, because we've talked about the possibility of a new SE model and whether or not that retains Touch ID.
0: I think that if the SE2 comes out now or WWDC has got Touch ID, but I think it's a two-year cycle on the SE. I think Apple is looking at rolling over a form factor device like that for developing markets and for the cost conscious about every two years. So the tech turnaround, you've got to, we're thinking about that in a two-year cycle as opposed to a one-year cycle. It's been 27 months since the first SE came out. So if they're going to do it now, if they're going to do it soon, it's going to have that Touch ID. If it waits another six months, maybe. We'll see.
1: Yeah. And we mentioned HomePod briefly before, right? We did. But HomePod appears to be ready to launch in other regions. And I say that because it looks as if HomePod is now going to be able to speak in French, in German, in French-Canadian, and Canadian-English.
0: Well, that follows given the next markets are France, Germany, and Canada. So it, it's a logical extension. It's good that it's rolling out. It'd be interesting to see what that does with some of these sales projections on the HomePod because everyone's saying, well, 600,000 HomePods, that's not a lot. Well, that's three markets. I mean, admittedly, one of them is Apple's largest
1: three market. Three markets, and it's not that many quarters.
0: Right. Not not even yeah. a holiday
1: quarter. So. Yeah, this is this is something that I think is is a part of the road for Apple. Now, a- Apple's competitors, and, and everyone gets up, riled up when I mention competing smart speakers, those aren't competitors to HomePods uh. because they don't have the speaker technology. Fine, I understand. But we know that Google Home understands non-U.S. languages very well.
0: Uh, and that's agreed. The Siri technology exists across the line in the iPhone and has literally let support for hundreds of languages. Thinking that that's not going to make it to the HomePod, that's you know that's kind of silly to assume that's that's going to be the case. That said, at WWDC, I'm expecting to hear about some improvements in Siri and the HomePod. What I am personally not expecting to see is an update to the HomePod for some of the conditions that we talked about a little bit uh, I before. I think a
1: couple, three years, like, like Apple Watch, you might get an update, but the old one continues around, or it just stays as it is for a good little while.
0: Yeah, I think we're not going to see one this year, if for no other reason than it hasn't seen a Christmas season. Yeah. I mean, audio physics are audio physics, But there's, right?
1: there's no compelling need that says the processor that's in there isn't up to the task. There's nothing forcing right. there's it no forward. Enge-
0: there's no engineering yeah. need to change it. Right.
1: What I would like to see is a unification of Siri, because currently Siri is stratified across different devices and what it can or can't do based on those different devices.
0: I, you know, I'm just going to say I would like improvements across the board. I would like improvements in the voice recognition technology at its core. I would like natural language searches to be better. I would like multiple, I would like whole sentences. Hey Siri, if this is on, then do this. Yeah, and I just activated my phone. <laughs> well, I, I guess I remember you I to, uh, yeah, I need, I need to turn that off completely. Okay. I guess, say, here I we go.
1: something on the web for, if this is on, then do this. Yeah. And I just activated my phone. Take
0: a look. That said, it did spot what I said very well. So
1: You know, one of the interesting things <laughs> we'll there is whether the dictation matches what you said and whether or not it interprets and gives you the result based on that. Because we had a situation where I was asking it to play the Apple Insider podcast and the dictation that it re- recognized, you know, I heard you say, find the Apple Insider podcast was absolutely correct. And then the response was, here's the Apple Cider podcast.
0: Yeah, and that, that doesn't surprise me. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I, I think that – if Siri is able to learn a little bit more effectively, it should realize that what you're talking about is not the Apple Cider podcast. Which has a stellar six yeah, episodes, we, by the way. We both have enough domain searches for appleinsider.com that it shouldn't be that hard to realize well, what And we're if talking the
1: dictation about. was correct, then go for it, you know? Sure. But all that said, Apple is preparing McEnery Convention Center for the big WWDC that's coming up next week.
0: Yep the the signage is already up as is fairly standard for this early before WWDC. I mean all this. I mean we're having this conversation on Friday and most of our listeners will download this podcast on Friday. But frankly, if you're listening to it on Monday, just hang on a little bit because a lot will have changed yeah. on Monday. On Monday afternoon between Friday and then. So, I mean this is fun. Speculating what Apple is going to do based on previous trends and what we've seen out of the rumor mill in the last couple months is fun. But here's the thing, and we're going to be talking about this in a piece on Friday at Apple Insider. There's not much in the rumor mill this year.
1: No, no, there really isn't. And we're not, we're not talking about brand new hardware being introduced. We're not talking about huge new things happening with software coming. It's, it's very much sort of a lull before a storm.
0: The, uh, as far as software goes, I mean, obviously that's inevitable. It's what WWDC is for. But I think it's easy to lose track of the fact that WWDC is only rarely a venue for hardware announcements of any scale. Last year's hardware bonanza was completely out of the ordinary for WWDC. Completely.
1: You know what I'd like to see is a summary on HomeKit and the number of developers that they've worked with to do the software authentication that they announced a year ago.
0: I would like a little more clarity on that as well. There is a lot of information talking about vendors Well, we're going to have HomeKit soon. Well, soon is now. Where is your product? So what's the holdup? What's the problem? Are you getting good information from Apple about software authentication? Did they say you could do it, and it turns out you can't? I mean, where exactly is the holdup? And I'd, and I'd like a lot more info on that.
1: Absolutely. One of the problems with WWDC is that it's so well attended. It, it used to be twenty years ago that you could get tickets and go and and be content. You know, right. Mm-hmm. Over yeah, now time, it's, it's gotten so much more popular that there are student scholarships and lotteries, and it's very difficult to get in. And Apple has done a little bit around that with the developer login, developer accounts, making the resources available, the talks available, and transcripts available. If you aren't going, the new update to the WWDC app for iPhones and iPads gives you all of that same kind of information with the videos and the transcripts and, and things right on your iOS device.
0: I mean, I'm not going to lie. The guys that are not going to WWDC for Apple Insider, the guys that are stuck at home, we are going to be using Apple's resources like the app a lot. So it's it's good to get that if you want to keep up to date by the minute from Apple directly. Um, we have an away team that's going to be there and we're going to have footage from the floor. If Apple's got any hardware, we're going to bring it to you. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But right now, this minute, we don't have any more insight, f- legit insight from Apple, than you do. So,
1: And, you know, if if you're thinking of going, but you know that you don't have a ticket, or you're already in the area, you should point out that there are um, events that take place that are open to people who don't have tickets. There's there's always the all there, WWDC, there which is mm-hmm. a sort of um, much more ragtag, but fun event for developers. And it's got uh, a lot of good coverage coming out of that as well. So... There, there are things to do if you don't have the ticket. Well, I think I'm I've reached the end of the things that I really wanted to talk about, Mike. I mean, Apple looks like it's trying to get into the music publishing business. Twenty first yep. Century Fox rags on Apple for their efforts so far, saying they haven't done anything. Well, no, no kidding, right? Um, and and not that Twenty first Century Fox is in any position to uh, to really talk because I remember how long they took <laughs> to build a TV network. So, yeah. These things take time, let's say.
0: They do. They do. Uh, Apple's approach is a little scattershot, but maybe we'll see a pattern as time goes yeah. on. Who knows? And that's
1: that's kind of the news. Let's go ahead and get right into that interview with uh, with Chaz from Live Watches. So welcome to this, a very special segment of the Apple Insider podcast. Joining me for this segment is Chaz of Live Watches.
2: Hi there. How are you, Victor?
1: Hi. So the the reason that we're bringing Chaz in is because Chaz is a person who's been around the Swiss watch industry for years, has worked for other watch companies, has sold them, designed them, been a part of parts production, and is is making his own wristwatches, which he's uh, funding on Kickstarter and selling through other sites. And we, we've, we've talked a lot about on this show the Apple Watch, and we've talked about Apple and Apple crowing about their success and how they're – doing more than Rolex and doing more than traditional Switch brand forgive me, doing more than Swiss watch brands. And I think it's interesting to get perspective from someone who's been around that world and really sort of has an understanding of what that industry is like. So Chaz, now now that I've said all that, help fill in all the large gaping holes that I've left out.
2: So your first question is in reference to the industry. So so I, I think
1: a lot of our listeners don't really have a good feel for what the watch industry is like. you know obviously we could spend hours and books have been written about what the Swiss watch industry is like but right. um can you can you just kind of explain a little bit about what that business is like, how things are sold, how things are produced, and what what goes on there before something like an Apple watch enters the market
2: A little bit of history on on watches. Uh, watches the turn of the 19th century were a utility so you needed a watch to actually function uh, and that's you know that's making sure that you were on time for the train uh, you it sort of gave you an, I mean you, you had no other way of telling time other than having something so whether it started with pocket watches and then it moved to wrist watches and these were all mechanical in the beginning of the 19th century and then the advent of this quartz watch came along, and that happened in the late 60s and really blew up in the 70s. And that caused a big problem for the traditional watchmakers who were just making these mechanical watches for the past hundreds of years. And uh, what that did was uh, it sort of actually created a massive shakeup. So you had all these quartz watches that are now being produced in Japan. And later on in China. And uh, it, it sort of, you know, it sort of changed the idea of what a watch is. So, you know, a watch used to be just this, you know, this fine piece of watchmaking and it turned it into just a regular time telling uh, component of your life that was on your wrist that used to be probably on a wall. And, uh, you know, the, the fine watchmakers out there in the world you know, they still stuck to what they were doing because they still had that niche. And, you know, they, they, they sort of like, they hunkered down, you know, the Swiss watch industry was actually decimated, you know, in the late seventies, you know, people just ran, people just didn't know what to do. Like, oh, well, you know, you have this influx of watches coming in from all over the world, these Japanese and Taiwan and wherever they were coming from and they're like oh you know nobody needs a watch and nobody needs a Swiss watch mechanical watch anymore when you have all these quartz watches coming in and the Swiss watch industry consolidated but actually came out okay so at the end they sort of like defined themselves they're like okay you know you don't need a Swiss watch to tell the time but if you're looking for an accessory or you have a passion for watches or you like you like wearing a mechanical watch you know we're the people to go to, and so that's how they define themselves through the 80s and 90s and up until today. Uh, and then you have the, the smartphone that came out, and what that did was that basically shed anybody who was just wearing a watch to tell time. So you don't need a watch to tell time anymore. Obviously, you have the, you have you have your phone. just plenty. Your computer, if you're on your computer, it has in the lower lower right hand corner. You got the time right there. Uh, so you know, uh, time upper right, right corner for Mac users. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, forgot I'm talking to Apple Insider. That's the detail. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry about that, guys. Uh, yeah. So watches um became a, a, a non-utility, and now what it is is just it's just pure people that love wearing watches. They just like it. either whether they grew up that way. Or they they just have a, a passion for it and they wear it and uh, and then we go then we move into this whole connect thing so then you know watches you know as watches evolved and then you started with this new Pebble watch that came out like wow you can now you can have a watch. You know, which some people like having, and then you don't have to pull out your phone because you get your messages on your on your on your wrist. You can answer calls, you can send quick text message or whatever it did. Uh, the Pebble watch was, which I think was the the original smartwatch. And uh, you know, people looked at it in the industry, and we thought, you know, one second, what's going on here? Now, now they want to wear watches. People want to wear watches, but they want something different. They want to actually connect to something. So it's not. It's no longer now. It's just an extension of the phone, and you know there's a big conversation in the industry of you know where is this going? So is everything going to connect now? And from my perspective, I actually thought this was fantastic for the watch industry because all the people that were strictly using um, the were using their phone to tell time are now becoming more comfortable with the idea of actually wearing something on their wrist. And this, I think, is, is a really, really good direction for watch lovers such as myself, because whether you're wearing an Apple Watch or you're wearing the Pebble or you're wearing a LiveWatch, hopefully, uh, you know, for me, the idea that you have something on your wrist is an accomplishment. So the more and more people that got comfortable with the idea of now putting a watch back on their wrist, which we've lost over the past 20 years since the advent of the phone and the computer, is coming back, and I think what's going to end up happening is people that wear an Apple Watch and like the function, they're like, one second, I like it as functional." Da, 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 da. But you know, I what about that live watch, or what about that? Uh, I don't know. I don't like saying other people's brands, but what about that other beautiful watch that I saw out there? And I think that in itself is a positive, big positive.
1: So should the watch industry be worried about? The, the, the Apple watch or Android wear, for example.
2: No, I don't think they did, they should. I think they should embrace it. just like uh, they were worried about the quartz watch and some embraced it, some didn't. I think they should embrace it. I think it's a, I think it's a good turn. I think, uh, I think in the long run, I think it's very, very positive. Um, I don't agree with these other brands that are sort of like chasing the Apple model. So they have a lot of Swiss friends that are like, oh, one second, we must have a, wa- a connect watch. So let's go ahead and create a connect watch. Or I think you have to sort of know your place. And I think some of these companies are are making a mistake by trying to compete with the Apple Watch or trying to compete with some of the other smartwatches out there, whether it's a Samsung LG or whatever it is, these people are built for this style. They they control the connections. They're the ones that are making the, ad, the phones. So you know, you're know you always going to be behind the eight ball when trying to replicate what they're doing because they're holding both pieces. You're, you're, you're building on someone else's platform.
1: Correct. Which means and, and, you, you and, lose sort of the control that
2: you might have if it were your own. Correct, and things are changing so fast. You know, technology today has the shelf life of a tomato. You know, these companies are not built for this kind of uh, the, the kind of speed. You know, they 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 you know traditionally we make we're making we're producing the same watch we produced in 2013. You know, you couldn't do that in in, in the smartwatch world. You can't do that. It just doesn't happen. It's good to, people want people are, people are waiting for the next show when someone's going to stand up on stage. But you know, you know, with a with a big screen and and show them the next biggest thing that's going to happen. How this is going to change their lives. You know, in the watch industry that I come from, people don't expect that. They have you know, of course, you have new models that come out. But you know, when when a, so when the watch industry comes out with a new color or a new configuration or a new caliber, it's like a huge deal. You know, it's 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 it, it's it's a very different. They're running at a very different pace. You know, the watch industry runs in turtle. These guys are running as uh, squirrels. Right. Introducing
1: something new every six years, even if it's just a dial color or a bezel change color, is a big deal for, for the watch industry.
2: Yeah. I mean, mm. look what happened at Basel this year. Rolex introduced a new color, Everybody went spacko. <laughs> Try doing that with an Apple watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Apple says <laughs> – they call the press conference. They have everybody come in and they say, guys, you won't believe it. But now we're making the iPhone in a purple color.
1: Yeah, the the product cycles for for an electronic device are absolutely a lot faster than than the watch industry traditionally.
2: Listen, I don't I don't say no to connect. I say if you do connect, you have to add you have to add some value, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be the value in where you're competing with Apple. You cannot do that; it doesn't work.
1: Do you see a, uh, a sort of customer journey from someone who's been a, a connected watch where to move to a mechanical watch
2: i think it's a little early for that i think it's early for that is it happening i'm sure it's happening um is it where you know the industry is talking about it right now nobody's saying that everybody's saying we have to do connect we have to connect if we want to compete with if we want to be in, if we want to be in the, in the in the wearable industry we have to wear it. we have to make a connected watch that has all kinds of functions out there um but I am sure there's a lot of people out there that are now wearing an Apple Watch um, because it's it's a function, and then they say to themselves, "Okay, if I go to a wedding or I'm going somewhere, I'm going somewhere uh, that I don't feel I necessarily want need to wear the Apple Watch. I want something on my wrist because I'm used to having something on my wrist. Let's see what's out there." Okay, you know,
1: I've I've looked at this from a couple of different sides of things. And and one of the things that I've always been kind of interested in is the different sorts of approaches. You know, there's the, the kind of connected approach where it it tries to look as much like a traditional watch as possible to the point of, of using stepper motors to drive hands on the dial. And so you just, you you have an incoming phone call. So we're going to move a hand to a section of the dial that points to incoming phone call. And I felt like that kind of thing is sort of a failure because it doesn't give you enough information about, what that phone call is, you know, at that point, you may as well just dig out your phone from your pocket, but there are connected watches that do make sense. Like, you know, some of the, uh, the Casio pro Trek kind of models where it's meant for being out hiking and having those kinds of extra features that are useful when you're out in the woods. So there's, there's sort of a sort of mixed approach that I think is probably sensible. But I I wonder, you know, I, I I do wonder what the future is of the mechanical watch in in a world that has an Apple Watch kind of thing.
2: Right. Some people uh, want just basic tracking. Let's say, for example, if somebody wants like step tracking, or somebody wants like like altitude, or. Or, or speed or, I mean, I, that would be to go with the GPS, which, which is a whole nother story. But if somebody wants just some basic functions, like maybe heart rate or something like that, or they want to track from the health perspective, they want to be able to track things, but they want a traditional looking watch. They don't want to see, they don't want to be, they don't want to have this screen that's bleeping every two seconds every time a, a WhatsApp message comes through. Um, there might be space for that when it comes to like health and fitness and just basic tracking for somebody. Yeah. And and that's sort of the kind of thing that I think
1: the, the Tag Heuer was trying to do with their connected watch.
2: Yeah. I mean, the difference is that they're they're moving to a digital screen. Um, and what we see now is there are some companies out there, like, for example, like P- Alpina, just did a very interesting watch actually launched on Kickstarter. Um, they call it the Alpine X, um, which is using a sort of a hybrid of digital and analog hands that's also connected yeah, and I don't know if you've seen that watch yet. I,
1: I have. Um, it's it's they're they're sort of related to the Frederick Constant, and I think they both got purchased by Citizen Miyota last year. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's very much the the maintain as much a traditional look as possible and drive the hands with motors to indicate things kind of model.
2: Yeah, and uh, it's backed up by an app. Um, but um, the people that make that particular movement, um, we are actually in talks with them as well. I can't give away too much information, but we are working with them to develop something for us. Um, but again, it's not, we're still, we're just, we're, we're talking right now. We're not, we're not jumping in. We sort of want to wait and see how things settle when it comes to live, when it comes to live and live connect. Um, but uh, we would never, ever, Try to compete. The way Tag Heuer is trying to compete with the digital digital screen, changing screen, um, we don't believe in that. And 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 it's interesting, you know, what's going on with Tag Heuer is that the Connect Watch itself is not a Swiss made watch. People don't know that.
1: I mean, where where are you going to get all the parts to make that in Switzerland? The Qualcomm chip that's used for Android Wear that they're relying on is not a Swiss part.
2: Right. They 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 they're not making that in Switzerland, but of course they have the name of being Tag Heuer, being a Swiss company, so people don't look at it. But it's essentially it's not a Swiss watch. It's 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 a watch that's completely made in um, completely made in the in the Far East. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I'm just saying to you, for a brand that um, portrays themselves as being a a Swiss watch, is now making non-swiss watches and for me for listen i'm not here to 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 bash tag Hoyer. it's not about that i'm not sure if the apple insider people want to hear (laughs) Chaz from from the watches bashing tag because i you know I, i love everybody in the industry i think you know they do they do a lot of fantastic things but it's interesting the way brands are looking at the connect and how they're willing to change the DNA of their brand to fit in with with the whole Apple Android Connect
1: situation. That is interesting. It really is that they would they would be able to look, overlook that that what would normally be a big sticking point for them in order yeah. to to make this change. Yeah, absolutely, I found that fascinating. So I I should ask you, I I really appreciate you being here and explaining this for us. Um, Tell me a little bit about the watches that you're producing.
2: Sure. So we are a fairly new brand. Um, We launched in, the concept started in about 2010, 2000, we spent about two years coming up with the concept. Um, Our first watch was actually produced in 2014. That's how many years it takes to actually do something um, in this industry. And, uh, we launched our first product, which was a battery operated watch. It's got mechanical analog hands. Um, when I say mechanical, I'm meaning that they're, they're, they're driven by gears. So those people who, who want to understand the difference. Um, but it's ba- battery powered and it's a chronograph. So it's basically a stopwatch with a one tenth of a second, uh, hand, um, at the six o'clock. We launched that watch in 2014. We launched it on Kickstarter, and at that point, we were the most successful Kickstarter project for a Swiss watch. And I believe we still hold that record. In total, for sure, because we've had four campaigns, uh, three campaigns, we're about to launch our fourth, but at that point, we held the record. We then moved on from there. To a mechanical, which is a, you know, it's bad, it's 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 strictly powered by a hairspring. Uh, and that's the traditional mechanical watch. It's a simple three hand with a multi layer dial giving you this three dimensional look. And we launched it on Kickstarter in 2015. And again, we broke our original record. We, we raised over, uh, I think it was 1.1 million plus. And we sold close to 2,000 watches, which is for us is, uh, is an accomplishment as being, a brand, as being a new brand. And the feedback has been fantastic from day one. And we then moved on to a new, again, mechanical watches. We moved on to a rectangular-shaped watch called The Rebel. We launched it on Kickstarter as well. And that one, we sold 3,000 watches. And we raised 1.7 million. Uh, and these are watch lovers, people that love watches. They like the traditional type of watches. They like the analog style. They like they like to see um, they like to see time moving, not by a digital display, but actual hands moving
1: time. Nice, very nice. So, what is the the fourth campaign that you mentioned?
2: So the fourth campaign is basically the feedback that we've taken from all our fans. And we basically created four new styles, which we were at one point going to release separately, but we decided to release them all at once. So we're releasing four new styles, starting with a analog alarm and moving on to a automatic divers. We then have now an automatic chronograph. And also the fourth model is a titanium. Automatic chronograph with a ceramic bezel. So for us, it's also besides for the mechanics, but also coming up with new ways to pair up different materials. So I don't know if there is out there, but I believe I've done the research. I haven't seen anybody make a titanium watch that's black IP coated, which is very good IP, a very good coating. It never comes off. Almost never. We have a five-year warranty. I've never seen a watch come back where the coating comes off. And we paired that with a ceramic rotating bezel. So we're, we're not, we're not just working on the mechanic side of things, but we're also, of course, design wise, you know, we're very, very picky when it comes to design coming up with new concepts, new ideas, but also materials to so peer up different materials and kind of bring them all together. Is sort of this, this one beautiful concept. Wonderful. Well, thank you so
1: much. We will tell people in the show notes to go to live watches and, they should be able to get to the campaign from there. Exactly. Thank you so much, Victor. I appreciate it. Mike, this brings us to the end of another perfectly good episode of the Apple Insider podcast. It does indeed. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And I know that some of you are a fan of interviews and some of you are very much not a fan of interviews. Please go ahead and let me know. I understand. And I want you to understand that I feel like there's some value in bringing them. We're going to keep doing them for a little while longer. We've got some interesting ones coming up. But we're always going to keep a component of the news segment here for you. So feel free to continue joining us.
0: Yeah, we're not some shadowy cabal in robes under a 60-watt bulb hanging from a ceiling that you can't even Speak see. Speak yourself. Yet. If, if you've got, you got stuff you want to say to us, shoot us an email. Let us know.
1: That email will then be directed to the, the secret mountaintop headquarters of Apple Insider. It will be read at the cabal meeting, and we will address it from there. <laughs> this has been the Apple Insider podcast. Magic Mike Worthley, where can people find you?
0: Well, you can find me every day, including Saturday and Sunday, at appleinsider.com. You can find my own podcast at spacejavelin.com, typically every Monday.
1: And I'm Victor Marks. You can find me here. I'm talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain over at tokenreporter.com. And that's the stuff. We're having a good time. Yeah, we'll see you next week.